Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm John Cook. I'm a retired Baptist preacher with over 50 years in the ministry of teaching and preaching the King James Bible, God's Holy Word. The purpose of this podcast is to present the Word of God as being just as relevant today as it was in the day that it was written. Today, I'm going to take you into my Sunday school class at the Faith Baptist Church in Riverside, California, where we are studying the book of Philippians. This is a verse-by-verse study to see what God has to say to us from His Word. All right, take your Bibles, go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. In verse 19, he says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh... This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray for you to speak to our hearts this morning through the Word of God. Teach us and instruct us, Lord, that we may grow through the Word of God. And may we learn something today that will help us in our Christian living. For Jesus' sake, amen. So, number one says, Paul knows the Lord still has his work for him to do. And that's what he's talking about in verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is, is that verse 19 connects back to verse 18 and what he said prior to this. And there he said, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. And then he says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation. The preaching of the gospel is the truth concerning what our future is. And oftentimes in our lives, we lose sight of what we're really supposed to be looking at as Christians. And we're looking forward in time, we're looking for the time when the salvation that is ours already becomes complete. And that's when we are taken out of this world and we are at home with the Lord. But until that happens, the continuous preaching of the gospel not only wins souls, but also encourages us because it reminds us if there's one thing that's that's true, is we as human beings tend to be very forgetful. If it isn't happening to you already, it will. Just give it time. But but we are very quick to forget things. 
We're quick to forget where the Lord brought us from, for example. Sometimes we begin to think that we're really something. Boy, we have attained in our Christian life. Then we stop and we look at where the Lord brought us from and we look where we are and we say, well, maybe I got a little farther to go. Because the reality is, is that we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that the preaching of the gospel reminds us what we believed and what we're looking for. Because this world's not getting better. This world's getting worse. I often, in prayer, I often say to the Lord, could you just come before the, before the collapse of our country? Because I just hate to see our country collapsing. But it is. It's collapsing in on itself. I believe that's necessary to the setting up of the reign of the Antichrist in this world. Because I don't see how it's possible for the Antichrist. I I never could figure this out. Even when I was a child, I couldn't figure out how would the Antichrist get into business and do the things that the Bible says he's going to do, and yet there still be a country like ours. But now I'm looking at a country that would very quickly accept the Antichrist. And we don't even know who he is. And we won't know until after the Lord comes. People say, well, if we don't know who he is, how would you expect him to come to power? Do you realize that nobody knew who who Obama was? And yet he got elected as president. That's unusual. That's a historical thing. So I believe the same is true of the Antichrist. I believe he could appear on the stage in just one instant and people would just flock to him, especially if he could promise peace. Imagine if somebody stood up and promised peace and could deliver it. By the way, the way he'll deliver it is, it won't be the peace you think it is, but he won't have to mess with the Congress or any of the rest of that because he'll be a dictator. And people say, well, we would never accept a dictator. We already have. Our Congress has been bypassed in making the laws. We already have. So it's just one short step from there to, to where, where the Antichrist is going to take us. I just thank the Lord I won't be here when the Antichrist shows up. But my point is, is that I really would like for the Lord before to, to, to come before this country completely collapses. Because I just don't like to see what's happening to our country. Paul says he wasn't worried about the surrounding circumstances. And remember, he was living under a dictatorship. He was living under Caesar. So the very first thing is, is that he says, I know that this shall turn to my salvation. I know that the, the truth of the gospel is my hope. And that's going to bring me to my salvation. The salvation that we really want is the completion. In fact, what is it in Romans? I'm thinking around about chapter 5, maybe 6. He says that the whole of creation groans and travails, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. See, this right here has not been saved. And the proof of that is this falls apart. You're just kidding yourself if you think it isn't going to happen. Because it will. This falls apart. But imagine having a body that never got old. Imagine having a body that you could eat as much as you wanted. It didn't make any difference. Thank God that we know cabbage soup in heaven. 
And so, but the reality is, is that that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're groaning for. That's what we want is the redemption. But imagine being in a body that never desires to do contrary to what God wants. Do you ever get tired of telling the Lord, you know, Lord, I blew it again. I messed up again. And in heaven, we'll never have to say that. Because we'll be as he is, the Bible says. Then in verse 20, he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul's earnest expectation and hope was to serve the Lord without shame. That was what he really earnestly expected and hoped for. That he wouldn't ever come to a point where he would be ashamed of the gospel. You remember Romans chapter 1? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul says, I don't ever want to be ashamed of the gospel. But I also don't want ever, I don't ever want to get into a position where God's ashamed of my labor. Where God looks at my labor and says, that's sad. That's really sad. That's a disappointment. You know, one thing I always hated as a child and never desired to hear from my dad was that he was ashamed of something I'd done. Because somehow or another, I always wanted to do what would please my dad and my mom. I didn't always do it, but i that's what I wanted. I remember one year at Father's Day, my brother and I, we both forgot to get Daddy something for Father's Day. And Daddy didn't say anything until that night. And he called us in his room and he said, You know, boys, I really thought you loved me more. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the empty feeling that gave me. Because the worst part was that I'd hurt my dad. And that's one thing I never wanted to do. Now, I always knew my parents loved me. Always knew it. But I also was afraid of them. In fact, when we first got married, my wife said to me one day, you love me, you love me less than you love your mother. So what do you mean? She said, you picked up your clothes for your mother. You don't for me. I said, I didn't pick up my clothes for my mother because I loved her. I picked up my clothes for my mother for my mother because I was afraid of her. And I'm not afraid of you. By the way, nowadays I pick up my clothes. After 50 some years of marriage, I've learned to be afraid. But, but the reality is, that's what Paul said. I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I don't want to shame him. We say, well, I know I'd stand up against anything that, that the world brought against me. If they said I had to deny the name of Christ, I'd never do it. Well, you don't know that you'd never do it. You hope you'd never do it, but you don't know that you'd never do it because you don't know what you'd do. But I guarantee you one thing, if you won't stand up for the Lord now without the persecution, you're not going to 
in persecution. And so Paul said that in my earnest hope, my earnest expectation and hope is that in nothing I shall be ashamed. No shame. He wasn't ashamed of his chains. He wasn't ashamed of being in a jailhouse. He never wanted to be ashamed of trusting the Lord. We never have to be ashamed for trusting the Lord. Paul says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. We don't ever have to worry that the day is going to come when we'll get there and find out that salvation didn't work. That what we've been telling folks about getting saved, it didn't work. But sometimes we don't witness because we're afraid to be embarrassed. And you know what that is? That's shame. That's shame for the gospel. This world doesn't have a problem broadcasting its wickedness. They don't know shame. But why don't we stand up openly for the Lord? Because that's what we need. And that's what Paul was saying. I want to never be in a position where I'm ashamed of my behavior towards the Lord or towards the gospel. Number three says, Paul wanted to serve the Savior with all boldness. You know, boldness is a funny thing because the Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. A lion walks through the jungle and he doesn't worry about who shows up. He's bold. We need that kind of boldness in our lives. And you know how you get that boldness? You pray. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, the disciples had been told to just keep their mouths shut and been beaten for the sake of the gospel. And the Bible says, they prayed and said, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. I don't know about you, but if I'd been beaten for, for the gospel, I don't know what I'd do. Maybe you do. I don't. But I wonder if we would pray, Lord, uh, could you just lighten up a little? But that's not what they prayed. They said, Lord, in the midst of all of this, give us boldness. And that boldness causes us to stand up for the gospel and stand out from the world around us. And this world around us is a mess. You know, it used to be, if you went to church, that was just normal. Today, that's not so normal because people have got this to do and that to do and something else to do. He says, I want boldness. That's what we need in our lives. We need boldness. Boldness to stand up for the word of God. Boldness to stand up to this world and to let this world know that we really are Christians. We really do care about the Lord. Not only did he want boldness, Paul's desire should be our desire. That the Savior... Concerning the Savior, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He said, my one desire 
He said, Christ will be magnified in this. Whether it's in life or in death, whether I live or whether I die, I want the Lord to be magnified. Now, most of us are looking to be magnified ourselves. We want somebody to pat us on the back and tell us what a great job we've done, you know. But Paul said, I want, I just want to magnify the Lord. That's kind of like John, John the Baptist. What is it? I wished I'd written this down, but I didn't. I think it's in John chapter, between John chapter 1 and John chapter 4. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. They came to John and they said, that guy you baptize, he's baptizing more than you're baptizing. Although, by the way, Jesus didn't baptize. His disciples did. But when they came, they said, that guy's baptizing more people than you are. And you know what he said? He must increase. I must decrease. Now, see, that's the difference between exalting yourself and exalting the Lord. Sometimes we look at what another church is doing and we say, well, how come God's using them? Well, that's none of your business. Well, why isn't God using me the way God's using him? Because you're not him. Dr. Jack Hiles said one time, I mean, he had a huge church. He said, but I believe when I get to heaven, he said, I believe I'm going to have to stand back because there's going to be a lot of preachers from what we consider little churches that are going to be standing up ahead of me. Because his pastor baptized him after he got saved. And yet nobody knows his pastor's name. You think of all the great preachers, great in our estimation, who brought them to Christ? Well, we don't know. We just know the great preachers. Well, when we get to heaven, we'll know who. Because you realize that pastor shares in the ministry that God gives you. And when, a, when somebody's doing greater than us, we just thank the Lord that the Lord's being magnified. And our desire should be whether God chooses to let me live, that I'll magnify him. Or he chooses to let me die, that I'll magnify him. But the reality is, is that whether the Lord chooses to let me live or whether he lets me die, I just want to magnify him. However I go, I just want to magnify him. Jacob Preeb, a good friend of mine, went home to be with the Lord. Shortly before he went home to be with the Lord, he knew he was dying. He was on his deathbed. I think this was about three weeks before he died. He said to me, he said, John, I got to go home, but you have to keep going. That'll make an impression on you. And he recorded after the doctors had reported to him that he was going to, he had six months, I think, at the time that this happened. He used to sing and he recorded the song, God on the mountain is still God in the valley. And at his funeral, they played that with him singing it. But I wonder if you could do that if you just didn't believe that whether by life or death, you just wanted the Lord to be magnified. Singular passion with Paul was, I want Christ to have the preeminence. You'll find that in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. 
I copied something that I'm going to read you if I can read it, but it's very small print. They threatened a French Huguenot with exile, and he said, my home is in glory. They threatened him with loss of goods, and he said, my treasures are laid up in heaven. They threatened him with imprisonment, and he said, I'll be freer in chains than you'll be out of them. Finally, the officials roared, we'll cut off your head. To that he replied, if you do, my soul will get home to heaven quicker than his majesty's horses will get to the palace gates. When you're convinced that home for you is heaven, then it doesn't matter what this world does to you. It really doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter what God allows to come in your life. Because you know that whatever it is, God will get you through it. He may not get you out of it, but he'll get you through it. You know, most of our prayers when we're in difficulties is, God, get me out of this. Paul never prayed for anything but the Lord's will. I'm sure that this is just my opinion, okay? I can't prove it from Scripture. But I'm sure there were times when Paul got down. And I'm sure he kind of complained at the Lord once in a while. But the Lord never recorded it. You get over there and read about the men that the Bible says were the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You realize he doesn't record any fault or failures with any of them? He says Abraham and Sarah believed God. They never doubted God. Now, I happen to know what the Old Testament says. And it says that Abraham laughed when God first told him about Isaac. And Sarah laughed. But God never recorded that. You know why? Because we live under grace. And under grace, our sins are paid for. And God never records it. Number five says, Paul's declaration concerning living or dying. Philippians 1.21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. If I live, that's Christ. If I die, that's gain. I've increased. He said, for me to live, that's, that's Christ. But to die, that's gain. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul said here in, after this verse, look what he says in verse 22. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. There's that gain, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he says, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. This is what's going to happen. But he says, what to choose, I don't know. I don't know which way to go. He said, if i got to make the choice, I don't know what the choice is. I don't know which one's right and which one's wrong. He said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. You know what that means when you're in a straight betwixt two? It means you're straining to go this way and straining to go this way at opposite ends. It's like, what's the game with rope? With rope. Huh? I can't hear you, so. Tug of war. Tug of war. Thank you. 
At least somebody finally said it so a deaf man could understand. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to give me one of these things. Although I'd put it on this here. Yeah. He looked at me. <laughs> and that's what it's like. It's like, except the difference is you're the guy in the middle. And the rope's tied on you. And they're pulling from both ends. I'm in a straight betwixt two. He says, but to tell you the truth, I'm helping out the guys that are on that side. He says, because desire, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. He said, I'm in a straight, but I want you to know I'm leaning towards just leaving. I just want to leave this world. I, I don't want to stay here. He said, that's really my desire is to leave. He says, because if I leave, I'm going to be with Christ. What is it in? Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6. Oh no, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8 says, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body to be present with the Lord. Because as long as I'm in this body, verse 6 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And we live then by faith, not by sight. See, I've never seen the Lord with my eyes, but I'm going to. And that would be my desire to see the Lord. And Paul says, that's really what I want. Because as long as I'm at home here, I'm not at home there. But to be at home there, I get to see Jesus. So he says, for me to live, well, that's, that's Christ. But to die is gain. So he says, I really want to leave, but... Then he says this, nevertheless, in spite of what I want. Now, see, Christian, this is one of the things we have to learn. We have to learn that we don't get our way. But not getting our way doesn't upset us because nevertheless, we'll take what God wants. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. He says, for you Philippian believers, it's more needful for you for me to stick around. So Paul wasn't planning on resigning the ministry. What he was planning on was just going ahead and serving God. And if it worked out the way he wanted it to, okay. But if it didn't, that was okay too. Because whatever God wanted, that's all he wanted. You realize how what a contented life we would live if we ever came to a point where we just said, you know what, whatever God wants. That's what I want. Because we wouldn't care what the Lord did. If he allowed our death, then okay. If he didn't, that's okay too. Whichever direction it went. He says in verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming, you again. So he says it's more needful for you. So number six, Paul's acceptance of the will of God. Paul accepted the will of God. Whatever God wants, that's okay. And living, that's for the Lord. Dying, well, that's okay too. Because that just means I gain. 
But you know why he had to stick around? He had to stick around for the Philippian believers. Because the Lord knew that they needed Paul more than Paul needed to come home. You realize when we get to home to heaven, it's going to be for eternity? So the little bit of the time we spend down here don't matter compared to that. Sometimes God leaves us here just so we can be an encouragement to somebody else. Sometimes we think, well, Lord, I'm just broken down and my body's shot and I can't do the things I can do and I can't minister the way I used to minister. Why don't you just take me home? And you know what the Lord says? I got somebody that needs you right now and they're down there and they need you so that you can be an encouragement to them so that one day they'll come along and they'll say, you know what? That Apostle Paul, he went through it. I can go through it. I've seen preachers who no longer could pastor. And you feel when you no longer can pastor, and this is only, only a pastor can understand this statement. You feel like you're useless because you really have nothing left. I have a good friend who pastored a church, started the church, pastored it, and he got a disease that one day he was talking to me and he said, John, what's that, that mini air stuff that you're talking about, that dizziness? He said, I seem to have that. Does your leg ever collapse under you? His leg had started to collapse under him. It wasn't long until he ended up in a wheelchair. So you know what he does? He sits at his computer and types and puts out devotionals and you look at him and you say, God, why would you leave him here? You know what God said? Because I got somebody that needs to know. They need him right now. And when I need him, I'll take him home. But right now, he's needed right where he is. Let me tell you something. If you ever come to a point where you wonder why God doesn't just get it over with, just remember, it's not yours to choose. It's his to choose. Christian, wouldn't it be a great thing if we could trust God? <laughs> Problem is, we can't trust Him. We have to make His decisions for Him. Well, I don't have that right. I have the right to let God make it. Hey, this is John Cook again. Thank you for listening to our podcast on the book of Philippians. Before we go, if you live in the Riverside, California area, I want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Faith Baptist Church where our pastor, Nathan Cook, preaches the Word of God from the King James Bible. Be sure and leave us a comment now or a prayer request or what question do you have. Let us know how we can help you. Make sure and subscribe to the podcast and you'll get the next lesson just as soon as it is released. Well, so long for now. Be sure and join us for our next podcast as we continue our study on the book of Philippians. Till then, God bless.